all of Spiked's content is free. We rely on the help of loyal listeners and readers to keep producing our groundbreaking articles, essays, podcasts, and more. If you're a regular listener to this podcast and you have a bit of money to spare, please do consider donating to Spiked, or even better, becoming a regular donor. Even £5 per month can have a transformative impact on our work. To start your regular donation today, just go to spiked-online.com and click the red donate button in the top right corner. That's spiked-online.com and the red donate button in the top right corner. Now, on to the Spiked podcast. Hello and welcome to the Spiked podcast. I'm Fraser Myers and joining me this week, as ever, we have Spiked deputy editor Tom Slater. Hello. And Spiked columnist Ella Whelan. Hi. Today, we'll be discussing the presidency of Joe Biden. We celebrate the triumph not of a candidate but of a cause, the cause of democracy. We've gone from indecency to decency. He filled that empathy void. I heard a declaration of war against white supremacy. The sight of the Clintons and the Bushes and the Obamas, the Avengers, us back up there together. With unity, we can do great things. Joe Biden was sworn in as the 46th president of the United States this week. In his inauguration speech, Biden hailed the resilience of American democracy. He repeatedly called for unity and an end to the uncivil war of words. He also vowed to root out and defeat what he calls domestic terrorism, political extremism and white supremacy. The inauguration took place as Washington DC was flooded with 25,000 members of the National Guard, anticipating a violent attack following the storming of the Capitol several weeks ago. And while crowds usually line the National Mall to cheer incoming presidents, members of the public were replaced with flags due to the pandemic. On entering office, Biden quickly reversed a number of Donald Trump's key policies by rejoining the Paris Agreement and the World Health Organization, halting the construction of the border wall and signing executive orders around gender identity and race. Tom, what have you made of the start of the Biden era? Was pretty depressing. The the refrain you keep hearing from Biden cheerleaders is that the adults are back. The mm-hmm. adults are back in control. The adults are back at the top. And I think that's actually really revealing. Now, on one level, you'd think that was with Trump as the sort of childish foil or whatever. But I think the deeper point here is that the election of Biden represents for many people, as we've seen the gushing response to his inauguration, not just in the US, but in the UK and elsewhere, is the resumption of business as usual, really. Um, The resumption of the old elite being in control, the resumption of technocracy taking back control after these few years of kind of populist horror. That's really what this all represents. As you were saying at the inauguration, you saw Joe Biden praising democracy, talking about how American democracy had been tested. Now, again, I think the storming of the Capitol and all the crazy scenes around that allowed him to kind of pose as this warrior for democracy. But it comes back to this point that we said before, which is that particularly the kind of centrist technocratic establishment, they praise democracy. They see democracy as when it vindicates them, basically. Mm. And all of the excitement really means that for that section of the ruling class in various different countries, they feel like the populism issue has kind of been put back in its box. And that's something which is particularly alarming. I think it's interesting as well how you have this supposed return to normalcy, whilst you also have a clear acceleration of a lot of the very abnormal woke politics that we've seen as well. <laughs> so in some of his first actions in office, you see this flurry of announcements and executive orders, some of which you just mentioned, effectively allowing, say, 
boys who identify as girls in schools to use the girls' changing rooms, revoking Trump's executive order, getting rid of critical race theory classes and training sessions in the federal bureaucracy. And I think this is a pretty good riposte to all of those kind of anti-woke liberals mm. who backed Joe Biden so emphatically because they said he's not particularly woke, you know, if anything is going to bring the country together. I don't know how they feel about that position now, but it's quite clear, as we were saying for a long time, that because Joe Biden is such an empty vessel mm. and he's also someone who is quite willing to jump on any moral panic going over the course of his career, he is really going to embrace this woke politics stuff because it has become broadly speaking, not just a ruling class ideology, but also the ideology of the progressive left who also sectionally wants to ingratiate himself with. So on the one hand, you have this alleged return to normal and the depressing prospect that means, which basically means, look, we're back in charge now. Yeah. Democracy and changing society more radically is kind of off the table. But at the same time, it's accelerating this very abnormal thing in the kind of body politic of the US, which is this divisive woke politics, which so many people said Biden would actually halt, but quite clearly as, as many of us at Spike predicted, he was only really going to accelerate that. Yeah. In terms of, you know, this whole adults in the room idea, you know, let's not forget that this is the same class of people whose governance and ideas gave us the financial crash, the deadly invasion of Iraq, the many other disasters in the Middle East and North Africa, the, the mass incarceration of black Americans, the opioid crisis. And, you know, what's interesting is that not only does Joe Biden personally have his fingerprints all over a lot of these disasters. But these, you know, really quite terrible things never seem to dispel a lot of people's belief in the wisdom and the competence of the, of the technocrats. And so they still get labeled as the, as the adults. And maybe, you know, this kind of, <laughs> these kinds of disasters will carry on going forward. I mean, it's interesting that, you know, Trump's presidency obviously ended in complete disaster with COVID. But that's a, that's a natural disaster mm. that all Western states have struggled to cope with, including those run by bloodless technocrats. Like, you know, Angela Merkel is a very similar kind of politician to Joe Biden. So it's a restoration of the old order. And there's a reason people voted for someone like Trump, and it was to get rid of that old order. So, you know, going forward, what happens next? I don't know. Ella. I think there's so much bad faith around the Biden administration and fans of Biden because you just feel like everyone is willfully pretending to be excited about this guy. And there's been an attempt to kind of conjure up the same kind of excitement that was around Obama's uh, inauguration, both inaugurations actually, that there's this kind of new dawn for America and he tried to capture that in his speech as well. But I mean, you, you know and everyone knows that even the most sort of devoted of Biden's fans and the Democrats supporters know his political history, as you've just mentioned, Fraser, are aware of the fact that, as we've said many times on this podcast, just a year ago or, or more, when it came to the kind of primaries, he was suffering from a huge amount of criticism, not just based on his record in relation to race relations, but also allegations around the creepy Joe Biden and more serious allegations of abuse. And all of that has just been swept under the carpet in this kind of exercise in bad faith. And the most bad faith part about it is the whole question of impeachment. So this just basically, it smells like bullshit, Biden talking about unity and the desire to come together and, you know, the kind of theme of 
of the events around the inauguration were all about people saying we need to calm down and come together. And yet the Democrats are still supporting this, really at this point, just quite vindictive, vengeful attempt to kind of rub salt in the wounds of Trump supporters by going after the process of impeachment. Biden hasn't said anything, you know, official about, you know, I don't think this should be happening or why don't you guys just give it a rest. And so the whole idea of unity is a farce. I mean, one of the best examples of that is, as Tom's already mentioned, in his executive orders, this whole question of the issue of trans individuals being able to use toilets or go and do sports or wherever it is. That's a perfect example of how out the one side of his mouth, Biden and the Democrats talk about unity. And out the other side, what they're doing is playing into the divisiveness of identity politics. So any idiot knows that the question over women-only spaces or gender-only spaces or gender division in sports is incredibly complicated, it's incredibly toxic, and is not going to be solved by someone doing something as showy as signing an executive order on it. And so it's really depressing because you've got this hawkish, well-heeled political operator who has, you know, as we've talked about, a dodgy political history who has been given the sheen and the gloss by essentially, I think at this point, kind of lying, desperate Democrats to make out that he's a kind of person who's going to provide a new America, a new progressive America. And I'm worried about the outcome because the whole idea of unity, if you keep lying to people and say that you're going for unity and then just deepening the divide, I mean, that's what happened with the division in America we've got at the moment. People keep forgetting that Trump got a huge amount of votes and increase in his vote share. So the idea of, of just kind of lying to people about unity is going to make everything okay is a nonsense. I know we're living under lockdown for the foreseeable future, but that's no reason not to take care of yourself and to stay looking your best, at least from the shoulders upwards. If you haven't already, you need to start shaving with Harry's. The smoothness and the comfort of their blades is really second to none. When you shave with Harry's, you'll not only look fresh, but feel fresh too. To ensure the best quality products, Harry's has bought its own factory in Germany that's been making blades for over a 100 years. The factory team has more than 600 engineers, designers, craftsmen and chemists who make Harry's products from the finest materials and ingredients. All of this ensures a quality shave at a fair price. When you sign up to Harry's, you'll get everything you need for a close, comfortable shave. The razor has a weighted ergonomic handle and five precision engineered blades with a lubricating strip and a trimmer blade. You also get a rich lathering shave gel and a travel blade cover. So get started shaving with Harry's today by claiming your trial set for just £4.95. Support the Spiked podcast and get your trial set delivered to you, including a razor handle, five-blade cartridge, foaming shave gel and travel blade cover by going to harrys.com slash spiked right now. That's harrys.com slash spiked. I mean, talking about the response to a lot of it, I mean, you, you could be forgiven for thinking that some people in the media thought that Biden was the second coming of Jesus Christ. I mean, so the, the fawning has been absolutely 
crazy. And as you say, it's, you know, it's obviously in bad faith because nobody is actually excited about yeah. Joe Biden. Well, in a way, it feels like they are. I mean, the, the kinds of things that people have been coming out and saying, you know, kind of stirring themselves up into a kind of semi-erotic level of excitement on live television. There was a bloke on CNN who was talking about those lights down the side of the mm. National Mall being like Joe Biden's arms extending out into America. Something very strange is going on here. And I can't <laughs> help but feel like they've just invested so much in him because he's seen to oppose everything that they dislike, which is partly summed up in the figure of Trump, but also partly summed up in who they imagine his voters to be as being these kind of oiks who don't have any business in the business of politics. And I think what's so striking is how so many people on the kind of like more woke, quote unquote, progressive left, how easily impressed they are Mm. by this man. So you saw so many people praising his speech because he mentioned white supremacists and the need to take these people down. A lot of people praising his various positions, whether it's on critical race theory or whatever, and completely forgetting, as we've already gestured to, that he was one of the key authors of the crime bill in the 1990s, which is credited with fueling mass incarceration. You know, this was something that a lot of people used to talk about as, in Michelle Alexander's phrase in her book, the new Jim Crow 10 years ago, Mm. you know, which is not necessarily a perfectly useful way to think about that issue. But nevertheless, now they don't care because he's mouthing the right platitudes. And what I think is so interesting is that particularly those on the left of the Democratic Party or outside the Democratic Party on the left, who kind of held their nose and backed Joe Biden or generally kind of bought the narrative that Trump was such a kind of civilizational threat that they all had to roam behind them. What are they getting out of this arrangement? You know, they get a few platitudes mouthed. Meanwhile, the kinds of policies which are going to be pursued are either just going to be kind of woke gestures with divisive consequences. Or if you look at some of the foreign policy stuff, which again, you mentioned briefly earlier, it's going to be really, really horrifying. You look yeah. at all of his foreign policy picks and they are this kind of selection of kind of beltway foreign policy swamp hawk people mm. from the previous Democratic administrations. Tony Blinken, who's his pick for Secretary of State. You know, it's the classic kind of trifecta of back to Iraq, back the intervention of Libya, thought they didn't go far enough in Syria. I mean, it's, <laughs> this is the mindset of these people and that's what's so strange is that they've given moral authority to this old establishment kind of repackaged in kind of slightly more woke 21st century form and therefore they're now going to go ahead and prosecute an agenda which i'm sure many of these people would actually dislike and when joe biden talks about reaching across the divides it's going to be him reaching across the divides to like hawkish republicans yeah, <laughs> yeah. you know to execute horrendous disastrous policies around the world which many on people on the left in particular will probably dislike so the kind of pass that Biden and Harris as people who are very much of the democratic establishment and all of the kind of failed disastrous orthodoxies that that implies is really, really remarkable. And I just wonder how long that is going to last. And, you know, we have to think about who are going to be the main beneficiaries of a Biden administration. This is, you know, in terms of just looking at some of the donations that he was getting in the, in the campaign, this is, you know, record donations from Silicon Valley in particular. And, you know, we've talked a lot about big tech on this podcast in, in the past few weeks and how, you know, their banning of Trump really marked the ascendancy of, the, of their power to almost, you know, kind of nation state level. Almost, they're more powerful than some nation states, certainly. And Biden's campaign was sustained with huge donations from, from big tech people. You know, you have people like LinkedIn's founder, Reid Hoffman, venture capitalist, Ron Conway, the former Google CEO, Eric Schmidt, is a Democratic fundraiser. His transition team had, you know, top people from Facebook, from Apple, people from Amazon, Airbnb, Uber and Lyft. Big tech is now the dominant wing of the capitalist class. 
it makes up about 40% of the Standard & Poor 500. The five biggest big tech firms alone, the FANG, Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Netflix, and Google make up 15% of the top 500 companies in, in America in terms of market capitalization. And now they have a new administration that is very much on their side that not only is likely to be on their side in, in kind of business terms, but also they share a very clear ideological outlook. And, you know, that is quite a frightening prospect. There's almost a, a kind of monoculture now. I mean, at least Trump, for all his faults, was a kind of break on the kind of uh, dominance of, of, of the woke worldview. But now it's pretty much taken over in both corporates and in the state. Ella? Not to spend too much time on the kind of the shallow nature of some of this, but I think it's worth just looking at the inauguration for a bit. Celebrity and the kind of performance has been involved in American inaugurations for years and years and years and galas and things like that and the glitz and glamour of it. But there was just something in particular about the Biden inauguration that struck me as quite telling because they had this, not just a reliance on celebrity, but there was something about the the kind of a nod and a wink feel of it, which added into what you've just been talking about, Fraser, about the kind of the coziness of the elitism surrounding the Democrats, that it was kind of like a, it was, you know, they even called the special program that was headed by Tom Hanks after celebrating America, you know, it felt like celebrity America. And there was this moment in that people pointed out that they published this inauguration playlist that people were supposed to play in their living rooms when they were watching the show. And, uh, you know, it had a load of people. It had people like Vampire Weekend on it, which I'm 100% sure neither Kamala Harris, even if she does go around wearing chucks and pretending to be cool, or Biden know most of the people on the list. Kamala Harris thinks Tupac is still alive. So. Probably didn't invite him, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe she knows something we don't, but <laughs> he's been in Hawaii with Hitler this whole time. <laughs> They had a track by MF Doom who died over New Year's Eve on it, his track Coffin Nails. And lots of fans pointed out, hang on a minute, how dare you put his track on the inauguration playlist for the Democrats? Because under the Obama administration, he wasn't allowed back into the country because he was born in London, but then lived in America, has an American accent, you know, is about as American as the next person, has a wife and kids in America. And after, you know, obviously didn't get his papers together, a bit like what you could compare it to a similar situation with some of the Windrush people in the UK and wasn't allowed back in and was never allowed back in actually. And so it was just a moment where you realise that, as I was kind of saying before, so much of this is a, is about putting a kind of gloss and a sheen over what actually is some quite big problems with how they set out their politics within the Democrats. So if you take someone like Kamala Harris, who, and I know we've said this before and people are probably sick of us talking about it, but is really politically so poisonous actually in her past and in relation to her work with mass incarceration of black people. I mean, the, you know, being a top cop and then suddenly now being able to be interviewed by people about her footwear and people celebrating <laughs> her as, you know, the first black vice president of South Asian descent. And no one is saying, but what does it matter if you're the first black person, if your track record and your views do nothing for black people? And you just feel like you're back in 2016, listening to people fawn over the idea of Hillary Clinton being the first female president. And I mm. can't understand why the Democrats haven't learned the lesson. And the thing that's also making me laugh is on the flip side, you have all of this sort of wokeness going on. And then you have at the head of it, the most 
unwoke person, an old white guy who ends his speech by saying, God bless our troops. I mean, I know that he's, you know, a big army man and his son Bo and all of that, but there's just such a disconnect between the idea that you could have this guy who's leading in a new woke administration that himself has got no relationship or no sense about what any of the kind of seriousness behind or, you know, mm. attempt to look at the seriousness behind politics that might be linked in with identity politics. So it's just this, it's like cognitive dissonance all the time. 2020 was full of unique challenges that completely upended our way of life. But we've got through it. We learned how to adapt, to make the best of it, and even to improve ourselves for when things go back to normal. We don't know what 2021 will bring, but with The Great Courses Plus, we can make this our year by continuing to learn with purpose. Because when we learn with purpose, we can do better and be better. With The Great Courses Plus, the opportunities to learn are endless. You get unlimited access to stream thousands of video and audio courses from top experts in their fields. For instance, you can learn how to build a better financial plan, control stress and make it work for you, to live sustainably, or even play guitar like a pro. Lately, I've really been enjoying the course Capitalism versus Socialism, Comparing Economic Systems. It's a brilliant and wide-ranging course that brings you up to speed on a range of key economic concepts, such as how we measure the success or failure of an economy. You'll learn about the great giants of economic thought, like Adam Smith, Karl Marx, John Maynard Keynes, and Milton Friedman. And you'll discover the history of capitalism and socialism, how they developed, and what they've meant for people living under those conditions. Whether you want to take a deep dive into a subject or learn a little bit of everything, The Great Courses Plus has something for everyone. I'd also urge you to download The Great Courses Plus app so you can watch or listen to lectures on any device, anytime, anywhere. So, what's your purpose going to be this year? What new things will you learn? Sign up for The Great Courses Plus and find out. Best of all, if you use our special URL, thegreatcoursesplus.com slash spiked, you'll get a 14-day trial with unlimited access for free. You don't want to pass this up. So go now to thegreatcoursesplus.com slash spiked. Picking up on that point you made there, Ella, I think what we've learned over the past couple of weeks in particular, but over the past four years as well, is that there are many liberals and people on the left who are prepared to completely embrace the police, the mm. army, the security services, mm. if their target is someone they happen to dislike. You yeah. know, I mean, even if you just contrast some of the discussions around policing and riots, obviously, over the summer compared to now, you know, people during the storming of the Capitol basically, were basically saying one way or another, why haven't they all been shot yet? That seems to be the response. And I think one thing, because particularly from the UK angle, we're seeing a lot of the gushing and the fawning and all the rest of it. But another undertone to a lot of the discussion also is the hysteria, mm. frankly, which has been stirred up in the wake of the storming of the Capitol and Joe Biden saying that these people are domestic terrorists and that we need a new law specifically on domestic terrorism. If you turn on kind of liberal cable news channels, the kind of stuff you're going to hear is absolutely incredible. There's all these former kind of CIA and Pentagon officials who over the course of the last four years, in part because of the Russiagate conspiracy theory, have been completely rehabilitated by the liberal left um, mm. and in many cases turned into liberal cable news channel contributors. 
all calling for more surveillance powers to police this issue of quote unquote domestic terrorism. That whereas before we had this kind of issue of essentially foreign launch terrorism, now the enemy is very much within all of these Trumpists, all of these far right militias, all of these, even John Brennan mentioned just libertarians the other day, mm. which is slightly alarming, <laughs> are the problem calling for more surveillance powers. And in concert with that, of course, you have this big tech clampdown where you had a former Facebook official going on CNN recently, Alex Stamos, who said that we need to treat this domestic sort of Trumpist terrorist threat in the same way we dealt with ISIS on Facebook. <laughs> this is really, really alarming. I mean, Glenn Greenwald has referred to it as this is kind of like liberals 9-11. Yeah. And there's a lot in that insofar as one event, serious though it was, nowhere near as serious as 9-11, of course, but in the form of the storming of the Capitol, is being used as a pretext to clamp down on civil liberties and to launch this war on the kind of what is conceived as being the enemy within. And whilst the kind of spectre of the kind of most extreme fringe is held up, that's something which is going to have far-reaching consequences for civil liberties. And it's incredible that more people haven't really picked up on this and how terrifying it is, particularly mm. on this side of the pond, given that all we're getting so far is just uh, gushing in the column inches over Kamala Harris, etc. You know, it's it's more than fair to use the 9-11 example because liberals themselves have been using it. And yeah. Hil- Hillary Clinton has called for the establishment of a type of 9-11 commission to root out uh, domestic terrorism. Mehdi Hassan on Al Jazeera said he was more afraid of the capital rioters than the 9-11, even acknowledging the huge disparity in, in the death toll. So there is going to be, despite this being a quote-unquote liberal administration, there is going to be a serious ramping up of, of state power and of the security state. And the ultimate effect on that will be to pretty much silence free speech and dissent. Some unity, that. (laughs) It's hard to draw positives out of this because I do think certainly American politics is in a bleak state. But the one thing that provides some scope for a bit of movement, I think, is that I've said that Trumpism isn't defeated and that the whole kind of the issue of the divisiveness of American politics remains. But now the Democrats are in power. They narrowly have the Senate and the House. And so, you know, lots of them are on a high. My American friend who's a Democrat said that she woke up and it was like a miracle. So, okay, they've won. Fine. And that means that now the measures that they take and the policies they implement is they can't blame a big guy with fake tan who eats burgers any longer. They can't point to the bogeyman of Trump, or I suppose they might try. Now Americans can say, you are the ones that are accountable. For example, how is Biden going to deal with the ongoing issues of not just the pandemic, but lockdown restrictions and restrictions on people's ability to work throughout the pandemic in America, which is decimating people's lives. You know, tinkering around with the Affordable Care Act or Medicaid isn't going to do much. And so now there is scope to say, you've had your fun kind of playing around with impeachment orders or talking about things being rigged or making allegations about, you know, golden showers and hotels against people for the last four years. Now you have to actually get on and put your cards on the table. So, you know, for those of us who are unhappy with the politics of the Democrats, never mind the kind of the, sh- the showiness of them, but actually what they stand for, the shortcomings of a Biden administration will become quite clear quite quickly. And maybe you could say maybe there's scope in that for us to move beyond this 
deathly stagnation of American politics that's happened for so long, which is a flip between some version of Clinton on the one hand and then some version of of Trump on the other hand. So maybe there's a bit of movement there. If I'm trying to desperately, you know, reach for some kind of positive out of this, <laughs> I think that now there's really very little for the Democrats to hide behind. Thanks for listening to the Spike podcast. We'll be back next week. If you enjoyed the show, why not check out some of Spike's other podcasts in the meantime? We have the Brendan O'Neill show in which Spike's editor talks all about the big ideas, bad ideas, problems and controversies of life in the 21st century, all with the help of an esteemed guest. Then there's Culture Wars hosted by Spike's columnist, stand-up comic and satirist Andrew Doyle. This monthly podcast is the perfect antidote to the woke idiocy taking over our lives. And last but not least, you should check out Last Orders, a podcast hosted by Tom Slater and Chris Snowden. Last Orders is all about freedom, the nanny state and censorship. And there's a lot about coronavirus these days too. You can listen to all these shows with your favourite podcast provider, or you can find them on the Spiked website at spiked-online.com. Thanks for listening. See you next week.